Hello and welcome back to Cosmic Tone Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing Time of Contempt, Chapter 2. Uh, this is a really, really big chapter, um, and honestly, it can be sort of divided into like three distinct chunks of Gin and Siri, you know, just getting to Gora's Valen. Siri, you know, traveling with uh, Fabio throughout Agora's Valen and the entire market situation, and then the reuniting of the family. You know, not all of them get equal time, but all of them are interesting in their own way. The uh, Siri and Yen first getting the Gora's Valen shows a lot of little details, like, uh, you know, um, Yen and Siri's relationship has clearly matured and stuff since uh, Blood of Elves. You know, they've gotten to know each other, they all respect each other. And while Yen can be harsh at times, like a good mother should, she is incredibly kind and caring to Siri, lay her foot down when she has to, but otherwise tries to keep her on the same level. And even when there's like big stuff or, or, or things that she knows that she needs to keep Siri out of, she'll try and explain it in a way that makes sense to her while omitting certain details, like the entire situation where she's putting on the glamour ride. So that everybody notices her so that they don't notice Siri. Um, and this is done intentionally, uh, and Siri feels jealous at first, uh, and, and Yen has to go, no, 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 it's not about that. It's honestly all here to protect you. Uh, it's not about appearances or anything. But there is still a level of appearances in underneath all of that. And that's shown again when all the sorcerers meet up uh, just uh, near the tail end, just before the, the reuniting of the family. I'll get into that in a bit. Um, and then when they're at the Jinkardi Bank of uh, the conversations of how Siri is keeping track of everything but pretending to be reading her book and Yin kind of knows better and uh, and no one quite knows how to deal with Siri because they don't want to discuss certain things in front of her but Yen is like yeah, go ahead go ahead um, and like give her a book or something she'll be fine and in the Jinkardi Bank we really get a sense of everybody and I was talking about this uh, last chapter as well you know, everybody has this sense that something is on the horizon. Um, you know, here, you know, the uh, Jim Cardi, you know, having a bank, he deals with money all the time. He's talking about how people are taking, uh, exchanging money to get gems. And instead of, like, traditional coinage, because it's easier to put in a bag and carry, um, and you can keep it in one hand, and in the other hand you can have a weapon, and this is all being done in a attempt to flee as fast as possible. Uh, meanwhile, uh, there's an increased, uh, no, uh, you know, uh, a want for lumber, uh, and that lumber is being sent to shipyards, and more boats are being made in more increasing numbers. And curiously, all of those boats are being sent to the south, towards the Aruga. At the same time, there are, in certain military camps, uh, you know, uh, military personnel are practicing embarking and disembarking off a ship while fully geared. You know, everybody kind of has the sense that something's coming down the road and it's going to be ugly and it's, you know, whether it's going to take the place of an actual war or something more sinister, who knows? Because as it is, when Searing and Yen first enter Gors Valen, they see these uh, non-humans, specifically a lot of elves, put on these stakes and, you know, they're rotting dead corpses standing outside. And it's meant to be a warning. You know, Scoyatel who come here die. And it's also meant to be a, uh, 
a uh, way to discourage non-humans, quote-unquote, from acting up uh, in sympathy for the Scoia'tael. Uh, and we even see when Siri is going through the city with uh, Fabio that collective punishment is being doled out. Any who harbors Scoia'tael, any, especially non-humans, you know, who deal with any is sort of uh, activity like that or suspected of, their entire family will be held accountable. Same with villages, etc. Um, and in the conversation with Jim again, notices that uh, there are an increased amount of taxes to accommodate the increased, uh, uh, you know, production, especially of the boats. But non-humans are being taxed even more. Um, and their money is being sent off to the special forces, which the special forces are there to deal with the non-humans. So in effect, the non-humans are thus, you know, uh, financing the campaign against them, um, and the, the campaign against the Squatel in particular, uh, which because of the rampant paranoia in this time frame, even if you're not a member of the Squatel, there's highly suspicion, you're being taxed, you're being harassed, all this stuff. And so there's already a sense of danger, even for non-Scoyotel-affiliated non-humans. And in a weird twist of sad irony, they are financing the soldiers who are coming to get them. And so it, it just provides a sense of just... Uh, Everybody is sensing something's coming down the road, and whether it's going to continue like this or if it's going to finally spark into something, who knows? That's coming down the road. As we already know, as the reader, the uh, situation in Dol Angra did, uh, went through because, well, poor Applegat was shot. Uh, and which means that the message is never delivered, which means none of that ever, you know, that that entire plan goes through without, you know, without being warned, and, well, war starts and we are already know this as the reader that that's where this is going um but these people who don't have that foresight like we the reader do still have the sense that something's coming down the road uh th there's also a great bit where you know uh yin really explains the situation gors villain uh, has with mages that there's an inherent relationship there because the isle of thanid which is just off the coast from gors villain um, you know, has a sort of a ziggurat style uh, place there that has different districts, Loxia, uh, Garstang, uh, Torlara, uh, the Power of the Gulls, etc. Um, and for uh, and for respective sorceresses, they go to Eratusa, which is on Thanet Isle. Uh, and so, effectively, the entire economy of Gorsvillen is built around Eratusa. You know, you have to pay a stipend to uh in sort of an entry fee to get into Eratusa and then uh, which goes in the finance everything and then the students of Eratusa those that are allowed to leave the campus can come here spend their nights here uh, you know buy stuff etc and the even the non-students the teachers except the archmistresses etc all do the same in the such it is a university town almost uh that everything is financed through uh the school which if you've ever lived in a university town that is absolutely 100 percent true uh I, I used to live in winchester in england uh which well it's inc it's an incredibly old town and you know um at one time was the the, the capital of hampshire that that's neither here nor there 
um, you know, and it has big tourist attractions like its big cathedral, but ultimately the main source of finance comes from the fact that a lot of students flock there, uh, get jobs or, or buy things, etc. The economy essentially flows from the top, which is the university, downwards. Uh, and that's true for a lot of university towns. And then when uh, Siri gets taken off with Fabio, which, by the way, Fabio is hilarious because uh, he is he's a buffoon. No, he's Fabio Socks, son of Fabio Socks. Um, and like there's there's nothing special about him. He's even smaller than Siri is. Uh, and so like there's just the sense that, you know, he, who really is protecting whom? Uh, and he's much more naive than her, even though she has her own sense of naivety, which I will get to in a bit. Um, that, you know, he's a buffoon and he's relatable all at the same time. Uh, and I like how that sort of, uh, that dichotomy is also played with Siri, where she is simultaneously worldly as, you know, someone who's been through some hardship. Uh, but also she was a royal and so she grew up with a certain amount of privilege. So like when she sees the coinage, you know, you know, uh, the being, being cut in half, like they used to do with shillings back in the day, um, you know, that that that's nonsensical to her because gold ducats were what was used um and the you, you know the s certain certain like massive market bizarre type you know with all these trading seems very odd and foreign to her um you know and uh the the, the people that flock to it seem unusual to her but all at the same time she is still incredibly street smart she knows what she's doing she calls out the the, the snake oil salesman guy who's trying to pretend like a bat this wyvern is basculus etc but also like the, there's that little line of if you don't know what to do with your hands put them in your pockets basically that like that's relatable like it says some of with social anxiety you know you're, you're sitting there with your hands you're like I, I can't be noticed so what do I do with these hands uh, and this cute little detail, you know, between Fabio and Siri, there's just this sense of childish joy, uh, which is important to set up because next next chapter is going to be super, super intense. Uh, and then it's not going to let up for the rest of this book. So the last chapter was a lot of plot setup and getting characters where they need to be. This one is a lot more of an emotional impact and showing us some joy and some light and some fun to be had just prior to what is about to come. Um, the, uh, the, the situation with the wyvern, I, I do love how, like, she's just calling the snake oil salesman out the entire time, and we can see through that interaction you know, just how much Siri is a sort of an amalgamation of Geralt and Yen. She's incredibly smart, uh, incredibly quick-witted, uh, knows, knows things that others do not, um, but, uh, and it is quick to, uh, come to the aid of others, but as a result, you know, is foolhardy. And even sometimes her attempts to manipulate or get things to go her way either don't go right exactly, or, uh, she pushes too far forwards, um, and it ends up coming back to bite her in the ass. And so we really see that she is, you know, truly the daughter of Yen and Geralt. You know, the amalgamation of their strengths and their weaknesses come along with that. Uh, the sense of legacy. Uh, I also like how she does not take credit for dealing with the wifer and she th she basically thrusts sword into the hand of the squire like, he did it! You know, one, 
she knows that if Yin found out, she'd be in a hell of trouble. And then two, she knows that she needs to maintain a low profile. I, I also like how, like, with Siri's ability to see through time and have premonitions and stuff, you know, Sapkowski is using it to not only add flavor to certain things, you know, foreshadow, etc., uh, but he's also using it to world build. Fabio sucks, you know, uh, it's only mentioned a few more times. I think he shows up one additional time throughout the books. He's a minor character. And yet we get an entire paragraph about how he's going to go off and be an explorer and find this new continent no one had seen before, um, you know, except for the natives living there and die from a native disease. He's essentially going to be like a Cortez or something, you know, a very famous explorer. Um, and that, that will be sometime in his future. You know, in in that that will come into play a lot as he plays with time and perception of time and perception of stories and how, as I've said before, personal biases influence the way stories are passed down. Then uh, when Siri is, you know, uh, out and about in that deal, you know, like she she stumbles upon the like the the the, the show areas, the circus type things, and as we see, we see how insular this north is. You know, they they they've talked about how they don't really understand a lot of Nilfgaardian stuff, uh, and that might be because Nilfgaard is isolationist, or it may not, because in the circus there's there's advertising for a dark skinned woman, so a black person, but you know, no one here looks like that. And so it's an oddity to them. It's sort of like the human zoos that we did in that horror, the horrible racist times of the 1800s, the 1900s, especially, uh, where we would take men and women from Africa and sort of uh, grind their teeth down and put them in these stupid-looking outfits and parade them around like animals. And it was disgusting, it was horrible, and it was racist all hell and back. But it's what we did... Um, and so, the, you know, this is showing that, you know, because people live in an insular society like that in a world before globalization, but even without contact with a lot of other people, you know, the exoticism is increased and people want to make money off of that by playing into that. Even if it's true or not, it doesn't matter. They still will get money from it, uh, which is all exemplified in the quote unquote Zeracanian basilisk, which isn't Zeracanian isn't a basilisk, it's a wyvern, you know, uh, and it's, you know, probably not too far from here, too, and, and she even stumbles upon a camel, and she's very confused by it, which is, is kind of an irony, because, you know, she started to fight monsters in this exact same chapter, she calls out the wyvern, but yet a camel is strange and exotic to her, uh, and it's a, it's a fun, fun bit of the chapter, uh, that, Increases world building, sh uh, gives us a sense of joy, um, you know, to prepare us for the, 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 the darkness ahead, but also shows how Siri has grown as a character and how she's an amalgam of Geralt and Yen, which will be important as we go forward. She also has a very important line during that of, you know, I never lose my way. I'll never get lost. Poor, poor Siri. <laughs> Don't want to do spoilers, but let's just say... She's so naive right now. It's going to be sad to watch her go through some of the stuff she goes through. And then the uh, situation with uh, Tessia, Margarita, Yen, and Siri. You know, the, there's this sense, and I and I brought this up before in a previous short story, 
on uh, previous chapters as well as just slightly earlier about uh, mage appearances and relationships. Um, and we see that very clearly when Tesea, Margarita, Yen, uh, and Siri are in the bathhouse. Tesea is old and stodgy, and she's, of course, obsessive-compulsive. She's obsessed with order and cleanliness and neatness, um, and she's very, very strict. Uh, like, as we see when she catches uh, Siri out in the, you know, the, the bazaar area, she you know, uses uses a paralytic spell to just stop searing her tracks and then gags her. And it's just like only Yin has done this once and this terrifies her, you know. And then Margarita is the new arch-retress of uh, Eretuza. And as a result, she's uh, much more of a... Um, not necessarily a free spirit, but sort of, in a way, she's much more lax about it. It shows how the mages have devolved over time, that their seat of power and their their importance for not only the politics, but also the general running of this world has gotten to their head. Um, Margarita even talks about how she sleeps with married men, because all the best ones are already married. Uh, and then she finds monogamy such an uh, such a tired and a disgusting trait you know and uh you know polyamory is you know if you look, you're into it you're into it but it also shows you know because she's only sleeping exclusively with married men that she takes the sanctity of marriage or uh pure heartedness in a relationship as complete poppycock that she is essentially so arrogant in her place in society, that she believes she is owed something. And Yin, while she is much better than Margarita, still shows that a little bit. And we even see when Rayla comes down to relay a message, they think it's an officer, it's going to be a man, because it's military, so it has to be a man, obviously. So they, they, they strip down naked to embarrass this guy, and then it turns out to be Rayla, who's not impressed because she's a woman, um, and sees that kind of form every day when she looks in the mirror. And so is like, okay, whatever. Um, and that really shows the arrogance and complacency that is inherent in everything in mage society, that they expect to be top dog, and they, they do not believe in a world in which that is not true, that they firmly and utterly believe that they are superior to everyone else, and they deserve to be that way, and nothing could take that away from them, and that everything else is puppets and playthings for them. Um, and that really shows, you know, a, a sorceress takes action. She does not stand by. Stuff like that. You know, that really shows their perception of themselves. And that will become incredibly important for next chapter and some of the following stuff as well. Uh, most of the mage stuff in this novels are predicated on the crumbling of their arrogance and complacency as their society evolves around them and what, what that kind of mentality wrought. Uh, but it's especially prevalent next uh, next chapter. Uh, but it's important to note here that even Yen is not free from this. Uh, even one of our main characters, who we view as a good person, still is not free from the arrogance and complacency that is at the heart of all mage society. Appearance matters before anything else. Power is the ultimate goal. And then when Ciri uh, runs away to the Herondim farm uh, and to find Geralt, the that entire situation you know it's full of foreshadowing um of course the wild hunt shows up and uh i won't really get into them right now i'll i'll, I'll do a little spoiler section real quick uh you know a, a, after i'm done to uh to talk about the wild hunt real quick but 
you know, they're after her. We know that the kings are after her. We know that Delphgar's after her. Uh, and so, every, you know, the mages are after her, too. So, like, there, there's a sense that, you know, every hand is reaching for her. But all she really wants to do is be with Geralt and Yen. And that, that sense is kind of sad in its own way that this happiness, this family can only last for so long that eventually something's going to come in and break that up and destroy her in some way. Um, it's inevitable. And uh, we even see when she's riding through, she's having all these premonitions of uh, Kahir, you know, the the, uh, the, the Black Knight, uh, the Wild Hunt, the Scoia'tael, etc., um, and she even feels like a pain on her cheek, which, you know, if you know, you know, and so like none of this would last and we got to accept it and, uh, it, and also enjoy it for what it is now, which really hits home when the three finally reunite. It's a glorious scene in which, uh, Geralt and Yen manage to disperse the specters of the wild hunt and, uh, they, they're begging Siri to come to them, but she can't decide she loves them both so dearly, and because of the pain and the scars inherent in with both Geralt and Yen, they have failed to truly become together as one to help her. Uh, and so she decides to force them to. So she f she fakes fainting to get Yen and Siri to run towards her and help her, and realizing that that is what they needed. They need something more in common. The something more that was often spoke about in the short stories. And, uh, you know, it, it's alluded to that Yen knew, but Geralt didn't. He took it at face value. Uh, and then the scene that plays out between Siri and Dandelion as they watch Yen and Geralt is glorious. We do not need to know the exact words said between Geralt and Yen. We can feel them. We have been with them for so long through all these short stories, through an entire full-length novel at this point. We don't need to hear the words said. We know what's going to be said. We feel it in our bodies, in our emotions, in our hearts. It's raw, it's unfiltered, and it's sad, and it's poetic. So the best way to show it is to see it through the eyes of an adolescent. Siri, someone who has a strong connection to both of them and want them to be happy, um, and Dandelion, the close friend, you know, of one, the confidant of another, and essentially the uncle, you know, you know, in this entire family dynamic, and a poet, a person reader, someone whose job it quite literally is, as he states, to say the words others cannot say aloud. So when he looks out, you know, a Siri describes what's going on, and he goes, ah, it's childishly simple. He is saying, I love you. And I'm sorry in the only way he can. And then the vice versa, you know, she's, you know, she's screaming. Well, she's saying, I'm sorry and I love you in the only way she can. Geralt and Yen are broken people. They have been through so much. And I think that is really shown in Shard of Ice. And so, especially of, so this is really the moment where they get to really air out those emotions. And is it necessary for the reader to see it? No. Because we know what it is. We know what it's in their hearts. We've known it for two short story collections and an entire full-length novel. We know they truly love each other. But whether they're willing to admit it or not, that's the other question. And it's more about the emotionality of the scene and the impact of it. Uh, and the, the, how vulnerable it makes them. 
without directly showing us. Which feeds into next chapter with a, you know, a particular situation which I no doubt talk about. So let's get into the spoiler section real quick. Uh, the Wild Hunt are not specters or ghosts or skeletons. They are, in fact, dimension-hopping elves and are ultimately part of uh, part of a long, ongoing eugenics program that involves Ceres' bloodline uh, and is necessary for uh, their continued ability to travel through the worlds. Then the doorways are closing. That is That ability is slowly being lost. And as it is, you know, the ones that can travel... Uh, can only project themselves as the specters instead of the true selves, the Red Riders. Um, as such, that's why they're after her, and that is ultimately one of the big points of her entire bloodline. And we'll get into that as that becomes more prevalent. But um, I know the games have kind of put an emphasis on the Wild Hunt, and I know that the TV show, uh, after this most recent season especially, really drove home the Wild Hunt thing. And I think that it was in reaction to the way that the games increased the role. They are ultimately a minor role in the larger scheme of things. They are an ever-present thing after her. And they are a big part of the final book, Lady of the Lake. But are they the big bad? I would say no, definitely not. They are just one of many. Um, and uh, and so like the Wild Hunt not, will not become apparent until much later. Um, so, but I want to put that in spoilers here because I think it adds to the deal that, you know, we open on an excerpt from Dandelion's Half a Century of Poetry in which he says that when he met her, she seemed so ordinary compared to what was prophesied about her and what the major events would happen in the future because of her and why she was born and how she seemed like such an ordinary girl, you know. Um, that really drives home once we find out what the Wild Hunt's about. You know, Nilfgaard's after her, the Kings are after her, the Mages are after her, the Wild Hunt's after her, but none of them are, you know, great magical forces or blah, 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 blah. They are ordinary people out for their own personal gain in some way. Even the Spectral Riders of the Wild Hunt are just elves who fear they won't be able to travel through worlds anymore, so need her uh, as part of their eugenics thing. Uh, and there, there, there's a bit more complication there, but we'll get there when we get there. And so it is all about the evils that men do rather than some great darkness that she is destined to fight and deal with and blah, 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 blah. And this is seen no more better than the way that the books will treat the White Frost, it being climate change. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. I just wanted to point that out so that it really hammers home the theme of the evils of man, not generic fantasy crap uh so i'll be joined by josh once again to talk about uh the third chapter of time of contempt the big banquet before everything goes to hell see you then bye